Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. So on this episode, I'm doing a breakdown of my hunting gear because having the latest and greatest gear may not guarantee you a big buck, but it may help you in that endeavor or at least make you comfortable while doing it. All right, welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for tuning in. So yeah, this episode is about gear and I'm going to do a full breakdown of my hunting gear, uh, at least a lot of the major components. Now there are some things that, you know, it really doesn't matter what type of equipment you're using or that instance. So, uh, but this is going to be hitting a lot of the major points or things that I really focus on to make sure that the gear is right and that it's um, ready to go essentially, especially as we get, as we're getting closer to November, you know, we basically only have about two and a half weeks until, uh, November 1st. So, you know, basically making sure that I'm ready to go for, you know, the Super Bowl essentially, or the time that we're really looking forward to as deer hunters, as, you know, slowly but surely the, uh, deer activity is increasing. Uh, these colder temperatures that we've been having has certainly helped out with that. You know, looking at the number of deer moving around, I'm seeing a lot of scrapes opening up. And it's just starting to feel like the the time is, you know, we're getting that slow build up to uh, to that time frame that we look forward to the most. So kind of working on some of that intel, you know, I had uh, one of my public land spots where I had uh, on Friday had pulled a, a card, you know, basically kind of seeing what kind of movement I've been getting. Lo and behold, probably one of the biggest bucks that I've seen on this, especially this parcel of uh, land here you know, showed up the day before at 8.30 in the morning, cruising along on this main trail that I have my camera overlooking the scrape. You know, basically at this point, thinking that, you know, with the wind or with the rain that we've got coming in, you know, that night, that maybe the next morning he might come in, feel like he needs to freshen up that scrape or, uh, you know, basically be in the same area. So essentially went in there, went in there for uh, basically targeting this one buck you know, he's a super wide eight pointer. Again, just got the one picture of him. I've never seen him before. And so I slipped in there in a spot or in the tree that I thought was the best uh, to kind of lay the groundwork. It basically overlooked the main uh, trail, or at least what I thought was the main trail that had a historical scrape on there that I had kind of freshened up uh, in years past and kind of made it a little bit, you know, presented a little bit better, making sure that that uh, licking branch was in a good position and that you know, essentially when I start out the scrape for the year, I make sure there's a nice, you know, bare dirt patch, all the vegetation and whatnot that might've grown in over the off season is kind of cleared away. A younger buck or a couple of days before had essentially spruced that up and cleaned it out again. Uh, and then this buck again, first time seeing him on the camera, he came through, uh, you know, an hour, you know, within shooting light. So so set up in there, this main trail that I'm looking at, about 20 yards out, there is a secondary trail that runs off to my, essentially my right-hand side or my strong side. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I didn't think that that was a trail that was utilized as much, but I was aware of it. Got around 8 o'clock in the morning, everything was looking good. We had a wind coming out of the northeast, so my wind was good. And sitting there next to here is a twig snap, and it's basically right down below me. And sure enough, this giant buck came down. Basically, when I time I turned my head, he was about 10 yards be, um, to my right. And coming out of some, 
you know, bigger timber that I had um, basically in between where the two trails were. He had ultimately ran parallel with that cover and slipped in right, basically right, right underneath me before I knew he was there. And uh, at that point, by the time I turned my head, he had actually turned his body t- essentially more or less facing me, spotted me up in the tree. He spooked a little bit, took a couple bounds behind a tree. At that point, tried to grab my bow, and, you know, from that movement, even though he was behind that, you know, pine tree that he couldn't, I didn't think he could see me all that well, there must have been enough movement where he spooked again. He bounded back to the direction he came from. It didn't sound like he went too far. Uh, you know, it didn't sound like he just completely bolted out of there. He, had, again, kind of did that couple, a few bounds that sounded like, and then stopped. So kept my bow in my hand, thinking that maybe he'd circle back and try to go back the direction he still came from. Ultimately, he did that. Unfortunately, he was out now probably about 50, 60 yards, circling out away from the area. Uh, so, you know, it was one of those things where I seem, I feel like it was more like a soft bump where he didn't smell me. He didn't catch any of my scent. He just saw something in the tree that he didn't like that was moving around too much. And uh, he, you know, proceeded to go out and around where he thought he was safer and still head off in the direction he came from. So it was one of those things where I completely underestimated the capabilities of the deer, I guess, to be able to sneak in. I should have thought about it a little bit more, you know, in depth where there's a lot of pine needles in there. So actually the fact that I could sneak in there pretty quietly should have known that the deer were going to be extremely quiet. The area too is pretty thick cover with a lot of, you know, pine and basically at different elevations or not elevations, uh, uh, basically the growth period where there's a lot of immature trees mixed in with them with mature trees. So pretty thick cover. I mean, honestly, the farthest shot that I really had, at least from that tree was about 25 yards. Anything outside of that, there was too much tree cover and they were out of range for me. So the fact that he was able to use, utilize his cover, get with underneath me, I wasn't able to hear him until it was too late. Uh, you know, basically just was a testament that I had the right idea, but I didn't really think about that. Uh, the idea of the deer being able to sneak in on me that close without me, you know, catching them beforehand and being prepared. You know, I thought I could utilize a lot of that thicker cover, get away with myself a lot more movement. Uh, I guess I underestimated the deer's ability to be able to utilize the same tactic on me. So, you know, from there, uh, you know, pretty, pretty proud about missing the, uh, missing an opportunity at the biggest buck, uh, especially on, on uh, public land and having a buck that close, uh, in general, you know, never had an encounter with a buck that big, um, you know, in a hunting scenario, uh, as I did. So I was pretty, uh, pretty tore up about it. Uh, my wife was getting tired of me complaining about it or just, you know, him and hawing about the whole situation. Uh, you know, basically had to do a breakdown of, you know, what went wrong, how am I going to rectify it? And, you know, did I just screw up that hunt or screw up my ability to be able to hunt that buck, especially in that area? Ultimately, I think the way he spooked, he'll probably be back. It's just whether or not, you know, how, or I guess it all depends on how long it's going to take him to feel comfortable in that area again. Ultimately, what I've decided to do is I'm going to move where I basically already did. I prepped another tree that's on the other side of that trail to where he can't sneak in essentially behind me, kind of like what he was doing. Now I'm going to have everything in front of me and I can see down that trail a little bit better. Now the downfall is, is I'm not really in a position to be able to shoot at the scrape anymore, but I can still shoot on that trail where that, where that, uh, scrape comes from. So essentially I have to let the deer kind of make it about 20 yards down the trail, you know, either before or after the scrape. And then I still have a shot opportunity. So it kind of gets 
where I can see where both those trails kind of intersect and shoot at that. So basically the one trail is about 10 yards in front of me. The other one is, you know, kind of pushing a little bit further is about 30 yards. So a little bit further than I would like on that trail. But the problem is too, is, you know, if I start pushing in any other direction, you know, I start limiting myself on the wind directions that I feel safe to be in there and the ability to, you know, not have deer slip in behind me again. So, so hopefully another week or so I'll be able to go back in there when the winds again, back in my favor. And then hopefully again, I didn't bugger up that spot too bad to be able to have another opportunity at that buck. If not, you know, if that buck is kind of wise up to the whole situation and avoids the area together, that is again, another area where uh, other bucks are going to be in, you know, in that vicinity. So I may not have a shot at that buck, but I may get another opportunity at some other buck as well. So I'm certainly not going to, you know, hold out, um, solely for that buck. If there's another good buck in the area, uh, they're potentially going to get an arrow sent their way as well. And then before we get into the topic of hand, again, as always, you know, if you like this show, please hit that like button, subscribe to the channel if you're not already. And then also don't forget to head on over to mihuntingpodcast.com, head on over to the website, check out all the latest content. If you want a little bit more out of it, become a member. Again, your membership supports this show directly. And then your membership will also grant you access to a special live show for members only, as well as exclusive discounts, as well as you know, members only giveaways as well. So let's go ahead and get into some of this gear. You know, again, having certain gear is not going to make you a better deer hunter necessarily, but I do feel that, you know, having gear that you're comfortable with and feel confident with is going to make you, uh, you know, again, have that better mindset of knowing that you can, you know, achieve certain things or, you know, form certain tasks uh, while you're in the hunting woods. So or again, if nothing else, it's going to make you more comfortable in the woods to make you, you know, paying attention more. You know, if you're, if you're cold, if you're wet, you're going to be distracted. You're not going to be paying attention as much. And, you know, you're going to kind of not have the, uh, you know, the focus that you need to be able to, you know, accomplish your goal of being out there hunting and making sure that you're not missing any deer movement. So let's get into this first gear here. So the very first thing, again, I'm going to talk about. The very first thing I'm going to talk about here is my bow setup. Now, again, individual bows is not going to necessarily mean that you're going to kill that big buck or having the latest and greatest bow isn't going to make it to where, you know, you're going to be more successful necessarily. The big thing is with a bow is that is a, one that you are, you know, confident at shooting with and that you're accurate able to shoot. So it's a good fit for you. <clears throat> so this year I've made a change to the Prime RevX 2. Uh, this is a bow that, you know, I kind of was hoping for, uh, that was going to be, you know, kind of their lineup. So yeah, I was really excited about their prime inline last year, understanding that a lot of times they're, you know, when a, a, a bow manufacturer makes a big change is that they're a lot of times that technology or some of the stuff, uh, is not really refined. They come out with a brand new technology. Um, you know, they've certainly done all their testing and whatnot. But there's always like that that year two, and they make some improvements. So that's what I was waiting for with this RevX, and they didn't disappoint in that regard. So the big thing with the, the with the RevX is again they went with that single cam design, that inline uh, cam design that's designed to be able to pull those cables into the uh, you know closer to the uh, center point or in line with the arrow, and then that's to basically help you know they're designed to eliminate or minimize any cam lean. Uh, when you make your drawback. The other big thing uh, that I was impressed with or that really got me excited was their modular cam system. So 
back in the day, a lot of the bow manufacturers had these modular cams where you had to have a specific mod for your draw length. Uh, you know, in recent years, the, a lot of the bow manufacturers have went with a uh, adjustable uh, draw length where you can just like a little, you know, just with a couple of set screws, you can adjust that draw length. Made it very easy to be able to make, you know, real quick adjustments to your draw length. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the bow manufacturers appreciate it where they could just, you know, take out a couple of bolts, slide the the little whatever adjustment, and then bolt it back down again, and you could, you know, fine-tune that adjustment. Downfall is, especially with someone in my instance where I have a shorter draw length, is that as you shorten that length of that draw, you're losing part of that cam or that movement of the cam, basically losing some of that power and essentially speed too of the of the bow itself. So basically making the bow uh, less efficient, therefore making it uh, you know not as you know not set up if if is as if you had a or if you had the uh, you know, using the full length of the cam essentially. And then some of the other features that they had with this bow is that they have a uh, Prime non-Pacific uh, Hamsky Epsilon Res that's, you know, designed to meet match with their um, burger holes or their to mount the bow or mount the rest on the bow so that the most of the rest is actually in line with the riser itself, again, helping with some of that balance. And then they also partnered with Tight Spot to create a um, Pacific rest for or Pacific quiver for them that again the mounting bracket is in line with the riser and then that allows you to have that quiver much tighter to the bow itself helping with that balance as well so the one downfall or a couple of things with that too that uh, we realized is that when we got it it looked like everything was backwards they don't make like a left and right uh, quiver you basically unbolt the brackets and then you can flip that quiver around whether you're a right-handed or left-handed shooter. So the one thing too, uh, you know, I thought I would like the idea of having a five arrow quiver. Now, um, in years past in my previous boat, I had a, a, a three arrow quiver and uh, it did take a little bit of adjustment to me for me to have all these arrows on here because I actually shoot with the quiver on the bow. So I have my quiver on at all times. Uh, so it's a little bit of adjustment having those additional arrows on there, a little bit additional weight. Um, but certainly too, something that I, uh, it's just some, just how I shoot or how I like to shoot with the quiver on, you know, I can do it without it, but I prefer to have it on, you know, this is the bow of my choice. Now, again, the other thing that, or I guess the last caveat or the last, uh, ice on the cake for me is that this is a, uh, with prime being out of Michigan, it is a Michigan bow. So, you know, that's one thing I appreciate is being able to buy something in state or manufactured here in the state of Michigan as well. So. I've been excited with the bow. I'm really impressed with it. Again, a lot of their old, the other features, their little, you know, specialty grip. Again, we haven't hit those cold temperatures yet, so I haven't really got a chance to uh, see exactly how well this grip performs in regards to cold temperatures, but uh, looking forward to it, essentially. I guess since I'm talking about the bow as well, I might as well talk about my arrow setup. Now, again, you can go uh, kind of crazy when it comes to arrow setups, talking about arrows broad head type so if you've listened to the show before you kind of know my stance on it uh you know making sure that it's just a, the right arrow for you and your bow and what you want out of it so this year again i'm shooting the uh gold tip airstrikes this is a, a batch of arrows that i had um from last year basically is a uh a small diameter so it's not a micro diameter arrow uh very lightweight 
So it's, it is designed more for uh, long, longer range shooting and basically a high FOC. So it comes with an aluminum insert and aluminum collar on both the uh, point end and the knock end as well. Basically helping protect the ends of those, that arrow a little bit. So this year I'm doing use, utilizing the new VPA Omega Broadhead. Again, this is their new broadhead for the year. It's a patent pending uh, lay flat technology where for the single bevel, you don't need any special jig or anything like that to sharpen it. <laughs> you just lay it flat on the stone. It has a little groove on it that helps guide to make sure you got the angle right. Again, high carbon steel for the construction. So nice and durable and maintains a good edge. And for the back end, I've got a knock, nocturnal lighted knock. I always like to shoot or, uh, lighted knocks even when I practice uh, primarily for to be able to um, have the exact same knock that I'm going to hunt with as well as so in the hunting situation, having that light knock, especially in that low light situation, you can try to pinpoint a little bit easier on exactly where the arrow went, especially if you get a pass through where you can see the, you know, the spot where that knock finally disappears to be able to pinpoint, uh, you know, point of impact a little bit better for the other part. I run heat veins. So I run a four fletch with a, a pretty aggressive offset. I added on a white, wrap as well as two white fletchings to be able to help determine again a little bit better on you know if i do get passed through or if i get blood on this end of the arrow to be able to identify what type of blood it is uh, for better you know judgment on when to do a track job or you know if it's something that you know to be able to determine if it's liver blood or lung blood or something like that help that help make those determinations all right so the next bit of gear is the my new camel setup for the year now again, same thing. You can have a significant debate on the types of uh, type of camo, whether a certain pattern is better than one or the other. Uh, you know, honestly, as long as you again feel confident and you do feel like you, um, or if it does break up, essentially your silhouette. You know, that's what's important. The other big thing is being able to have equipment that's going to be able to uh, hold up to you know some abuse, as well as manage the the elements out there. So. You know, again, you can be in an area where you can have sunshine, you know, in the morning and then it's, you know, rain, sleet or snow in the afternoon and be able to have a gear that can kind of handle that as well. So what I'm switched over to this year is Origin, um, their new hunting line. You know, the big thing was with this is that I've been really particular about wanting to get you know, a camo set up or get my hunting clothes that are American made. So, you know, there's a lot of hunting brands out there. There's a lot of U.S. based hunting companies out there that have made the decision to do a lot of their manufacturing overseas or have a lot of it uh, done, you know, not here in the United States. So, you know, it's something that I've been, you know, trying to uh, transition to and being able to buy U.S. made products. You know, you will kind of notice the thing that a lot of the equipment here that I do uh, run is either, you know, try to made made here in the state or at least U.S. made. And in regards to especially hunting clothes, you know, there's a lot of options out there. But stuff that's made in the U.S. is is very limited. So there's only a handful of companies that actually uh, manufacture or uh, at least, you know, the bulk of their manufacturing of their hunting clothes here in the state. So Origin is one that they actually source and make all their products here in the U.S. Uh, so I definitely want to give them a try uh, this year. You know, unfortunately, they don't have any like retail stores, at least especially not that I'm aware of. So it is all ordering off online. 
So I was a little hesitant about investing in a whole new clothing line and having not actually, uh, you know, got my hands on it beforehand or try it out beforehand. So, but so far I've been pretty impressed. I'm going to break down each of the layer systems and kind of give you my, you know, brief overview or I guess a review of that equipment or of those, of this clothing, uh, at least so far in the season. So what I want to start out with is with their base layer. So essentially their system is a, uh, a layering system. So they have uh, basically an Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie layers or system or breakdown of their layers. So the first one we got is their uh, stealth wool or I'm sorry, nano wool, uh, you know, basically their base layer. Quite similar to any other hunting brands base layers. It's a wool uh, polyester blend. Again, basically designed to go underneath your external garment just to help keep you a little bit warmer. So with this here, uh, it's a thinner it's not a, uh, you know, necessarily a heavy weight, uh, base layer is, I would consider kind of a, like a light midweight, uh, garment, but with it, it's a, uh, basically a nice little base layer. One thing I will say with this is that it does manage the sweat a little bit better, um, than some of like my older, like army, army, uh, quality, uh, garments where there's a lot more th synthetics, uh, with the wool, you know, it does seem to be able to manage moisture a little bit better. Uh, definitely not feeling like you're getting kind of swampy or um, getting too warm essentially so far with it. All right, so this next piece of garment is one that I'm actually very impressed with. Uh, again, this is their base their base layer. This is their uh, Nano Wool Stealth Hoodie. Um, so I'm pretty excited about this one. This is actually, uh, you know, one that I, it feels like so far has performed very well, you know, especially in regards to uh, the early season where we had those extreme temperatures. You know, I did wear this as basically my outer layer and, you know, even with that 80 degree weather, it seemed to manage to heat pretty well. I did get a little warm, but it did seem like this dried out and I actually equalized my uh, temperature uh, relatively quickly with this. So again, it's designed to basically help keep you warm, but also to be able to breathe and to manage moisture. It does have a hood with it. Now, usually I'm not a fan of having uh, my base layer with a hood because I usually have a hood on either my jacket or the sweatshirt I'm wearing. Uh, so having a double up on the hoodie generally is not something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but with this, you know, again, with it being that lighter weight and it actually, you know, fits pretty well, even when I have the hood down or when I have the additional layers on with a hood as well, that it doesn't seem to get too bulky, you know, on the back of my neck or on my shoulders. Um, so I'm in, in pleased with that. Another thing that this has have is has a built in, uh, basically the, the Ninja uh, face covering. Again, I didn't know how much I was going to uh, like that, having a part of the, the garment itself. Uh, but I'm actually pretty impressed when you either don't have the hood up or don't have the uh, ninja face up that is not too bulky uh, behind the neck there. Uh, but when you actually do have the hood up and the ninja uh, face covering up, it actually feels quite comfortable. I've actually hunted a couple different times with it up basically the whole time. Uh, you know, the, the most of the garment itself is just the same fabric as the rest of the um, rest of the hoodie is, and it does have a elastic bit on the top that goes over the bridge of the nose, so it doesn't feel like it's uh, basically you know cinched down on the entire face and not real tight on the face, but it does have that nice secure elastic band that goes over the nose, not too tight though, to where you know feels like it's digging in or anything like that or causing too much discomfort. So pretty good in regards to comfort and the fact that it's a uh, Again, I'm pretty impressed with 
the feel of the actual, uh, you know, having the hood with the, the ninja feel, uh, face covering as well. The other thing I really appreciate about this garment is that it is it does run, run long on the body itself. So it actually hangs down, you know, kind of you know lower on uh, my waist to where it's either long enough where if you leave it untucked, that when you sit down or as you bend or move or anything like that, it's not going to, uh, you know, ride up on your back. You'll feel that, you know, you won't feel that draft of, you know, cold air on your back or a breeze on your back because of that garment getting cinched up. And it's also long enough where if you tuck it into your pants, that it's not going to, you know, basically once that first movement become untucked essentially and cause the same issue for you. So I'm very pleased with the base layer of their, the origin hunt line so far. Uh, certainly something that, you know, it will be probably, you know, worn on every hunt that I do this year. The next piece of their line is as we move up into the, the, the layers here is their, uh, nylock, uh, field pant. Again, this one here is, uh, you know, again, it does, it is a quality product. I would feel, uh, the big thing is, is definitely more suited for either, um, you know, early season or more so on their, um, probably more on like a Western front side where you're doing a lot more walking around, you're moving around a lot more. Um, you know, these, these pants feel like that's kind of what they're, um, they're more designed for. So, uh, again, they're a, a lightweight pant. Uh, so in regards to, uh, you know, as you're moving around or as you're hiking, or if you're doing any spot and stock type stuff, you know, it's definitely one that, you know, you're, you're not going to get overheated with or start really feeling bulky with it. Uh, I did notice that once you're in the stand, especially with these colder temperatures that we've been getting, that my legs do feel like they're getting a little chilled or I can start feeling some of that cold radiating, you know, from, from my legs up as, you know, I sit there for, you know, several hours. So even with the base layer, you know, these pants would be good for, I would say, I don't know what they're actually rated for, or I don't remember anyways, but I would say that these are good for maybe, you know, temperatures in the fifties. If you're not in a high wind area, uh, anything lower than that, you are going to potentially start feeling chilled if you don't layer up additional. So if you do have, you know, their base layer on, you could add a secondary layer to maybe bulk this up a little bit and you might feel comfortable, but with just the, the base, the original base layer and the pant itself, uh, with some of the colder temperatures, especially if you start getting some wet and rainy conditions, you still could, you could start to feel a little chill with this. So, uh, this last hunt, I did end up busting out my older set of, you know, camo pants that are a little bit thicker, a little bit heavier. And I was just perfectly comfortable uh, with these cold temperatures. So they did come out with another, uh, there, they do have additional layer pant. That's going to be much more suited for late season, as well as they just came out with another, uh, you know, mid-level pant that's going to match the jacket that we're going to cover next year. So this one here, again, another piece of equipment that I'm actually quite pleased with. So this is their stealth wool jacket. Uh, this is again, part of their bra Bravo line or that outer wear, um, clothing. You know, I am very impressed with this. Uh, basically it's a, again, it's a, a blended wool jacket and it's actually performs quite well. It's not, it's not a, a heavy late season jacket. It's more of like a midway um, you know, mid season jacket, which typically fits kind of with what I typically like to wear. Uh, generally in years past, I would wear like a lightweight or like a midweight sweatshirt 
and then layer underneath of it so where I didn't feel too bulky or have too much of a thick heavy layer on top you know at least on the top end I like to be feel like I have a little bit more space to work with and not feel too overly bulked so so far with the jacket itself with wearing that ninja hoodie it matches the the hood system with this uh, jacket quite well they actually kind of interline with each other um, to where if you have both up it feels like you're actually just wearing one hood um, instead of having like two separate hoods where they're shaped differently or feel a little bit different uh, they generally have the same kind of outline or cutout um, so they actually mesh together quite well they do have additional um, I guess the same material as their nylon product on the shoulders this is for if you're carrying a backpack or something like that it's not going to wear out on the rest of the fabric and with the jacket so far even with some of the rain and the wind it does do a good job of again managing moisture so as it gets wet you know it's not with the wool it's not going to degrade its ability to be able to keep you warm so even if i guess if you were in a heavy rain or were absolutely soaked this would still help keep you warm again you may not feel the most comfortable being all wet uh, but it is going to be able to manage uh, being able to keep you warm uh, even when wet. Uh, so one thing I did notice too is that especially in a high wind situation or as we continue to get colder that with this jacket as well you know it may not be enough to be able to ward off all the elements or at least keep you warm for especially if you did extend a hunt. So as again as we get closer to the rut you know if you're out there for you know more than the typical you know few hour sit if you're going to be out there all day or be extended out there into the morning or sit longer in the afternoon you know you may start to feel chilled with this. So I did test out real quick of with the jacket of being able to throw on. So I had the main base layer and then basically all I did was throw on my puffy uh, vest that I have. So again, I don't even know what the brand is of this guy here, but it's just kind of that mid-weight uh, down, down vest. Again, very lightweight, kind of like a mid-weight uh, you know, vest here. I threw that underneath the, uh, threw on, or threw, threw this on top of the base layer, the ninja hoodie, and then underneath the wool jacket. Again, didn't feel too bulky. Again, being able to just keep the core warm and allow for the dexterity of the arms by having it just be the vest seemed to work out pretty good um, to be able to add additional uh, warmth. I did notice because I, I did wear all the equipment in. I did get a little bit warmer walking in with all the layers. So again, if you were to uh, shed a layer and walk in and add the layer later, later, then you would probably be better off uh, doing it that way and not getting too warm. But again, even with all the layering, um, it was able to, or I didn't feel like I was, you know, soaking wet or, uh, you know, had some, a lot of wet gear on in the stand. It did seem that whatever sweat I had you know, accumulated uh, did evaporate off or, you know, start to feel like I was still dry essentially, um, you know, shortly after being set up in the stand for a few minutes. So, so far, very impressed with the origin line. Uh, again, I am going to look into getting some of their other systems, especially as we get later into the season. So far, what I've got is their kind of their early to mid season, um, you know, equipment or apparel here. And so, you know, I'd either have to focus on adding more additional layers or being able to, you know, get into some of my older equipment that's more suited for the late season. Um, if I didn't purchase the, you know, the other layers as well, but so far very impressed with it again. 100% USA source and USA made. So there's that again, the icing on the cake for me in regards to the hunt line and price point, they're actually very good. So that's one thing I forgot to mention too, is that for a lot of the US made equipment, you're looking at, you know, additional, you know, cost to you 
um, to have that U.S. Um, product just because of the cost of you know manufacturing is going to be higher here than this when it gets shipped overseas. Price point though is probably on par or you know even better in some instances than some of the other hunting lines out there that aren't made in the U.S. That you know you may even pay more for the individual pieces of clothing. Competitive wise and for price point, uh, it's you're not going to see you know anything more than what you would see for any other type of uh, you know higher end uh, hunting clothes from any other manufacturer. All right, so the last bit of gear that I'm going to cover is uh, for um, basically my stand setup or my saddle setup. Like essentially, you know, again, I was uh, hesitant to get into saddle hunting. You know, basically I basically, I kind of saw that it was getting kind of, you know, gaining traction and popularity. I'm like, you know what, it's, it's, I don't know if I want to get into all that. Ultimately, you know, decided that I wanted to give it a try. And, you know, especially, you know, don't hate it till you try a type of deal. And I was actually pleasantly surprised that it worked out quite well for at least my styling of hunting, where I like really like being more lightweight and I like the idea of being able to be mobile. So again, you know, that's probably the the one thing that really caught my eye on the most is that you know I wouldn't have uh you know a, a mobile tree stand that I would take with me and whatnot. Uh but again, even that seemed like it was quite a process and I really wasn't really eager to you know move a stand or whatnot saddle system seems is a little bit lighter a little bit easier for me um, which really made it uh, a selling point for me so the one i've got here is from uh two board or two board saddles this is their hammock style so as you see a very big uh you know piece of fabric here you know it does kind of look a little daunting but the idea was that being that larger size is that it incorporates um basically a larger area for added comfort so you can actually you know have basically kind of wrapped quite a bit in the saddle itself helps eliminate those pinch points or areas where it just feels like everything's kind of bunched up on you. Uh, one thing that you will notice too is that for the bridge system, it does look kind of complicated with all these straps here, but it's actually, you know, when I first got it, I was actually kind of intimidated by all the number of straps that we have and just things kind of hanging off of it. But you get the saddle on and everything just kind of falls into place and it's just those straps again are for you know to be able to maintain those pinch points and uh, essentially your customization of how you feel have that feel of the saddle itself so got a strap up here to adjust your bridge and the tightness of the top part of the saddle and then a quick little pull here loosen the strap tightens up the bottom part so you can really again fine-tune that they have the additional straps with the loops here so you can actually do it one-handed so on either side especially on the bottom part I loop my thumb through the loop itself, pull however much I need. If I need to cinch it up, I want to feel a little bit more, you know, tightness around the lower part of the saddle. If I want to loosen up, just pull the little tab on the strap itself, and it pulls the slack out for you. So easy one-handed operation in that regard. And then for the securing the belt, again, it's got inside part of the saddle itself. It's got a strap with a buckle system for your waist belt, clips together, and then you can cinch it up on either side there. So typically what I do is I leave that tight as I walk in nice and high on my waist. When I get into, once I'm in the tree and settle with my, with my tether, loosen that up, cinch that or slide that saddle down a little bit for a little bit better comfort. Do have the two pouches for the gear. So this side I have my lineman's belt. On this other pouch I have my tether as well as my gear strap with bow hook on it. 
Now, I'm not going to get too much in detail with with this because it's pretty standardized equipment for saddle hunting. And then again, you can always pick on what type of uh, bow um, hook you want. I'm actually looking at getting a little bit bigger one because one I've got now doesn't quite fit all the well with the you know with my bow with the quiver on it. You know, if I were to take the quiver off, it would probably work a lot better. But again, I'm just going to get a little bit larger hook to be able to manage that going forward. One thing I did manufacture myself here is I got some 550 cord and a little little cinch to be able to cinch down my climbing sticks onto the belt. So as I climb up, I can do it all in one motion and not have to, you know, climb back down the, the tree to get my sticks again. Pretty common uh, setup for uh, most individuals that run a saddle system to have some form of a way to attach the sticks to the saddle as they climb. Um, eliminating need for multiple trips up and down the tree. So that's just what I came up with. And yeah, it seems to work pretty good. The cinch is down and it has a little 550 cord cinch. Pull that down, tightens the loop. Pull that cinch back, releases the, the climbing stick. So and the one thing I did forget to mention with the two bar saddle, or actually two things, like I said, now I can see uh, that I forgot to mention something here. So one other thing that I have on my saddle is this Allen, essentially bow tether here. It's basically a, a Springfeld uh, or spring-loaded, uh, you know, tow rope essentially. So I can attach this to my bow when I'm on the ground before I go up. Once I'm all set up, pull this up with the string and get in place. Now the one downfall with it is this: some heavy-duty plastic, a little bit heavy. Also, I do have to get some more uh, steel strip to put on it to quiet this up a bit. But I do like the fact that it's kind of spring-loaded so I don't have any loose strings kind of hanging off me. Um, it keeps that tension on there so I don't, you know, basically get tangled up as I'm moving around. Whereas I come back down the tree again, it just pulls all the slack, keeping that rope out of the way as much as possible. The one thing I did want to really make sure I highlighted is, again, with Tubor, they are, again, a Michigan company. So, again, buying local-type deals. So, uh, again, I'm very happy with their hammock style you know initially when i looked at it i didn't know how much i'd be impressed with it but it is quite comfortable you know certainly i have done some extended sits in it and ran into no issue with comfort uh, again one of the big things i was most hesitant about with the saddles especially is that i do have a bit of a bad back so sitting in the stand for an extended period of time i do start feeling some soreness in my back especially in the lower back there with the saddle systems but the customization that you can do with your ability to um, fine tune the angles and the, you know, tightness of the, of the saddle and how far you're leaning back and whatnot. Uh, very comfortable in regards to, especially with someone with a bad back, uh, being able to stay in the tree for a long extended period of time as well. So since we're on the topic of the saddles, you know, this is essentially my pack as I go in. So, uh, again, many different people will run it different ways. Uh, this is just what I like to use and what, again, what works for me. So, uh, most people wear a standard backpack. That's pretty common. I actually like running this uh, sling pack here. We're getting just one strap here and it slings over on the side. You know, the big thing with this is I'm able to uh, essentially still get set up in the tree without having to take the pack off necessarily. Um, and I can now still basically get to all my equipment just by swinging that pack around. So, so as a quick demonstration, you know, I can swing this pack around, get to the front part of it. One-handed, I can release the straps on the bottom that are holding my sticks. 
swing the pack back around, attach my sticks to my saddle. From there, I can climb up the tree. When I'm ready for my platform, swing my pack back around, undo the strap that's holding the platform on. And I have my platform in hand, slide the pack back around behind me. And then from there, I can attach my platform, get set up. And then from there, I take my pack off, hook it onto part of the little bracket that's on my uh, gear strap that's on the tree. And it just makes it a little bit easier for me. So again, a lot of people wear the backpacks. I like to run this. That way I can swing it around, have it in front of me if I need to, get what I need to for gear wise, slide the pack back out of the way. One thing I forgot to mention is to, I you know, displayed the type of sticks I've run so far, um, and but I didn't really highlight them. So what, what I've got here is a three uh, stick uh, helix, uh, or the helium uh, sticks, very common, um, kind of that mid to low price point. You know, they're very easy to get. Uh, I actually have some of the new Latitude uh, carbon sticks on the, on the way. Uh, there's a bit of an issue with some of giving my information to them that delayed some of the shipping, so I haven't gotten them yet. But I will be running those for the remainder of the season once they do come in. Or I have the Trophy Line uh, platform. I think it's the EDP, I believe it is. Um, just fits fits with the pack well. And I like the idea with the how the brackets line up. Matches with the belt system. Relatively comfortable platform. It's not overly bulky, so it's not too heavy or you know too uh, too much to manage getting set up. But it is uh, big enough to where it is still comfortable where I can move around, move my feet around a little bit if I need to, um, and not have to worry about too much with pressure points or you know get my feet sore or, or you know having that radiate up into my knees or anything like that, but not being comfortable in where I'm standing. <laughs> and then as we get into uh, some of the more probably the not necessarily the big items in regards to the gear or things I always make sure that I have with me. Uh, you know, these are things that are not necessarily um, necessary, I guess I should say, but it is something that I do make sure that I'm utilizing uh, when needed. So uh, again, as part of my sand control regiment, you know, I used to kind of go on, I used to always make sure uh, Kind of went a little, I guess, I, some would, I would say overboard, some would say probably not so much, or I didn't do enough essentially, but basically making sure that my, all my hunt clothes were scent free, so I'd wash them quite often, and, you know, basically almost every hunt, I would get those garments clean, and, you know, try to de-scent them in some way, so I'm either washing them, or hosing them down with some scent limiting spray. Uh, have played around a little bit with ozone, uh, you know, I did run uh, a couple times, um, in the years past, a actual ozone, you know, device in the stand. Uh, part of that, I mean, it seemed like it worked. It's going to do what it's supposed to do and eliminate some of the scent. But I didn't like the fact of having the fan blown or having additional noise. Um, you know, for me, I could notice, especially being in the stand with it, you could notice that that additional fan noise and whatnot. So I actually opted to go with a smaller uh, little, this is a scent slammer, little portable ozone generator. This works perfectly in throwing it in my tote with my hunt gear. So, uh, you know, before I either, if I've just washed my equipment or uh, when I'm just done hunting and I threw everything back in the tote, I'll power this on and let it run in the time it takes me to get home. So in that enclosed, you know, smaller space, this is going to pump out just enough of that ozone to potentially kill any bacteria or it, that would cause any, you know, scent buildup on your clothing. Just kind of helps manage it without having to go through all the process of washing all that equipment again. 
So this is one thing I've been running for the past couple of years now, and I'm very happy with it. It does seem to help, you know, minimize that scent profile. Again, you're never going to be able to get all your scent eliminated. We're not going to beat the deer's nose, but it does help manage that a little bit better than, you know, not doing anything at all. And it's relatively easy. Turn the device on, throw it in your tote. You get home, grab your tote, turn it off again. Or I've even, you know, at times just kind of forgotten about it. Let it run. And then when I'm ready to go for the next hunt, you know, this is either shut off because it's ran out of power or it's, you know, still running essentially. So simple way to manage your scent. Um, you know, again, the biggest thing to do is to uh, utilize the wind. But in instances where you're hunting off wind or wind swirling a little bit, you could buy maybe a step or two by managing your scent profile by eliminating some of your scent off your clothing. Next one is, again, this is more so in regard to as we're getting closer into the latter part of the season, when we get in these colder temperatures. So I am one that I really, um, I really become uh, not focused when I start to get cold, especially in my feet. If my feet are getting cold while on the stand, then that takes a lot of my, uh, you know, ability to focus out of it and a lot of my motivation to stay out a little bit longer. So, you know, I've tried different things of trying, you know, different socks combinations. And one thing that, uh, I just learned was that, you know, again, the biggest issue is, is that I'd have like thick wool socks on or something like that. Something nice and warm. The problem is my feet would sweat, get wet, and then start to get cold. So what I ended up doing was taking just some antiperspirant, rubbing this on my feet before I put my socks on going out. And it was, I would say it's probably a game changer for me in regards to being able to maintain, uh, my feet, not getting, uh, wet and then getting cold while out hunting, you know, basically by not allowing my feet to sweat, it actually maintains the performance of the footwear and those socks be keeping everything dry and it allows me to be much far more comfortable in the stand when out, especially in the cold temperatures. And you know, even when you're getting into you know, the, you know, the teens or single digit type deal, just having everything stay dry, everything stays warmer. So again, you know, this is just that, you know, it doesn't really matter what type of antiperspirant you use. I certainly go with something that's, you know, scent free. So I think I got the, uh, you know, scent killer antiperspirant here again. So I basically at this point, uh, you know, put a little bit on my armpits and then put a little bit on my feet to make sure that my feet stay nice and dry in the stand. Next one is, uh, again, not necessarily anything new for most people, but it's always having, uh, basically some milkweed or some form of scent check. So I love using milkweed again. It, you can get it for free and it does a really good job of staying in the, uh, you know, being visible for extended period of time. So if you get some of those powder, uh, you know, scent checkers, when I, once that powder to kind of disperse a little bit, as it gets further away from you, it makes it harder to see unless you're using a ton of it. Whereas the milkweed, if you put enough of it out where you can see it, you can actually watch it go through, you know, 20, 30, 40 yards, even out, um, you know, depending on, you know, the train and whatnot, if it's going to be up in the air that long. Uh, so you can really see what that wind's doing, uh, for, for a longer period of time or a longer distance out. Uh, so again, this is nothing new for a lot of hunters. A lot of people use, utilize the milkweed, um, I just make sure that I always have it. I keep it in an old uh, pill jar, essentially. It keeps it nice and dry. So this is actually the second season with this batch of milkweed. And again, with it being sealed in the pill bottle, uh, no issue with it getting wet. We're not being able to utilize it 
you know, after rain or even during the rain of being able to see what's going on. So, so in the, the next piece I wanted to talk about in regards to, especially keeping warm, the next big thing that will be a deal breaker for me is if my hands start getting cold. Uh, now, again, if even if you're wearing lo- gloves or lightweight gloves, eventually, you know, your hands are going to get cold or start to feel chilled a little bit. Um, so basically again, hand warmers. So what I typically like to do is of course have, you know, a few of those, uh, you know, those, uh, disposable, you know, chem, uh, you know, bag hand warmers where you open them up, shake them up, and then they warm up. Downfall with those though, especially is that, you know, you gotta always, you know, disposable when you're done with them and always make sure that you get them prepped and ready to go. That, so what I've, uh, started accumulating over the, the past couple seasons is these electronic little hand warmers. So basically they're just, you know, cheap little, uh, hand warmers essentially. So these, again, just a couple examples of what I've got. I don't even know what the, really the brand of them is. Uh, the, the other nice thing is too, is that with them being, uh, you know, electric is that if you did have, you know, your cell phone or something like that, they usually do come with some for report. So you can use these as a power bank. Uh, so if for whatever reason you're on your phone too much, or you've got to charge your phone over the night or something like that, uh, you could use these as a power bank as well. And these typically do last uh, a little bit longer too. And especially too, if they get wet. So if you're in really uh, soggy weather, or if you happen to drop them or something like that, uh, you know, it's not going to affect the performance of them getting too wet. You know, they're just going to keep, you know, operating, even though if things get a little soggy. So, so again, really easy to throw into your pocket, or if you have like a little muff pouch or something like that, you can throw one, one of these in there and it generally, generally keeps the, uh, the warmth throughout the course of the day. Now, if you were going to do it all day sit, you might want to grab two of them, run one. And then once this one eventually dies, run the other one. So same thing like you would for any other like chemical, uh, you know, hand warmers, Again, not necessarily something that's going to make you, you know, a better hunter, but being able to be comfortable out in the stand is very important as well to be able to maintain your focus and stay out there for that extended period of time, especially again, as we get closer to the rut, if you're doing an extended sit, or if you're trying to do a all day sit, you know, just being comfortable in the stand is going to make it, you know, easier to stay focused and whatnot and not miss the deer that you're, uh, out there, uh, you know, hanging out in the tree for. So, and then that's it for a lot of the, the main uh, pieces of gear that I wanted to cover. Now there's, again, a vast way of other gear that you could, uh, you know, look at or cover. But that's just kind of the main things I want to cover with this one as some of the things I find as key elements of the gear that I use, uh, you know, that I hunt with. So, so with that, we're going to wrap this one up. So again, we're getting into that perfect timing where everything's starting to ramp up starting to see more and more and more deer activity and before we know it, it's going to be the rut and it's going to be exciting so good luck out there and as always get out there be safe and have fun